0: Hi folks, my name is Chris and I'm the artist and co-founder at Explorer Maps.
1: Hi, this is Vanessa, Chris's wife. I have been a number one fan of Chris's art since I first met him in the late 1990s. Which map will you get to help you treasure your own special times? Please be sure to use the promo code Mandela for a discount when you visit explorermaps.com.
0: Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure radio series and podcast dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world in order to take you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. This episode was recorded on location in collaboration with Explorer Maps. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of adventure from both near and far as well as information and inspiration, and a few tunes to set the mood. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn about our international outreach projects at TrailLessTraveled.net. And now, here's your host, international expedition guide, conservationist, and yogi, Mandela.
2: Today, the Trail Less Traveled is being recorded in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm currently at the office of Grand Canyon Conservancy. And I am sitting here with Katie Varian. She is the marketing manager. Katie is a lover of the outdoors. She is a fellow storyteller who loves to connect people with the places that need our help. Grand Canyon Conservancy exists to support Grand Canyon National Park, the official nonprofit partner of Grand Canyon National Park, raising private funds, operating retail shops within the park, and providing premier educational programs about the natural and cultural history of the region. Donors for Grand Canyon Conservancy fund projects including trails and historic building preservation, educational programs for the public, and the protection of wildlife and their natural habitat. Grand Canyon Conservancy exists to support Grand Canyon National Park in its goal to provide enriching and fulfilling visitor experiences, and protecting the park for future generations. Grand Canyon Conservancy achieves this by establishing a continuous and growing funding stream, providing enhanced educational experiences and engaging advocates for the park. We are here at the office for Grand Canyon Conservancy. There's probably four feet of snow outside. It is a beautiful winter's day. And Katie, I just wanna say thank you so much for making the time to meet with me this morning on the trail less traveled.
3: Of course, it's great to connect with you.
2: Katie, my first question for you is more of the evolution of you as a storyteller, as a conservationist, as a advocate for the Grand Canyon. So let's take it back. Where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood?
3: So I grew up just north of San Francisco in Marin County in the Bay Area, and I was very fortunate to have access to a lot of nature and outdoors readily available. My parents loved hiking, so pretty much from the start, I was on my dad's shoulders as a baby on, on the trails, and then from there pretty much every weekend, just exploring, whether that be hiking the trails of Mount Tam, Mount Tamalpais, or going to the beach. And then as I kind of grew into kind of a young kid, canoeing a lot with my dad on the bay, so San Francisco Bay is a really special place to me. I went away to college and kind of discovered that this could be more of a passion that I take with me. I studied sociology and environmental studies. So really interested in the intersection of people and nature, how we're impacted by the environment and how the environment impacts us as well. And the first environmental organization that I got involved in is called Save the Bay, which is an organization based in Oakland, California, an advocacy organization focused on wetland restoration. So I did an internship with them in college, focused on uh, marketing and communications that group was founded by three women in 1961. So really cool kind of story before there were really those big environmental laws protecting our country and our public lands. Mm-hmm. These women, they were all housewives at the time living in Berkeley, California, realized that the bay was getting filled and polluted and if nobody stood up for the bay, it essentially wouldn't be here anymore because it would have been totally filled with bay fill and developed. So that was the first organization that I got involved with and kind of realized that I really wanted to be on the advocacy side of things and be really involved. Mm -hmm. And then kind of went back to college and took that with me and got involved with a club that I started focused on gleaning, which is essentially going to farms and harvesting produce that the farm's for whatever reason, aren't going to be able to sell either because they have excess or it's not like commercially viable, it doesn't look perfect, but it's totally edible. So just kind of getting out with friends and harvesting that produce and bringing it to food banks and learning about food insecurity. And so that was a really cool boots on the ground effort for me that I was involved in. And then when I graduated from college, I was able to return to Save the Bay in a full time capacity, which was really exciting. Working in communications, but also in development, so helping raise funds for the organization. While I was doing that, my partner had a dream job opportunity that brought us to Arizona, which was totally unplanned, had not really spent any time in Arizona before moving there. But we kind of just like picked up our lives and moved to Phoenix. his job opportunity and so I left Save the Bay and got connected with the Nature Conservancy and was working in fundraising at the Nature Conservancy supporting a major gifts fundraising team and that got me connected with a lot of different places in Arizona because they have preserves all over the state like Ramsey Canyons in southern Arizona then Heart Prairie up in Flagstaff so that got me exploring a lot and then the pandemic hit and that got me exploring even more. So my husband and I basically camped and hiked all over Arizona and fell in love with Northern Arizona during the pandemic, moved up to Flagstaff, and then I got connected with Grand Canyon Conservancy. And I had only visited Grand Canyon once when I took the job and I had just gone for a day hike And had an incredible experience and thought, this is such a unique opportunity to really intimately get to know a national park and visit it in all seasons, Mm -hmm. get to know the people, the rangers that work in the park, who support the park. And so that's kind of how I got connected with Grand Canyon Conservancy. And since then, I'm still getting to know the park. It's massive. So, like, for instance, I've only been to the North Rim once. I'd love to go back. But it's just endless. There's so much to explore.
2: It sounds like you've known that you want to be a part of advocacy and connecting people with these landscapes since you were young. And so you don't meet people like that every day. I really admire that. Katie, I would like to talk to you about your first time visiting the Grand Canyon. Can you take us to that moment?
3: Yeah, so the first time I visited Grand Canyon, basically it was when I was living in Phoenix and came up and stayed in Flagstaff for the weekend and went to Grand Canyon for the day to the South Rim. It was in November, early November, and it was a beautiful day, great hiking weather. I want to say it was probably in the low 40s when we started our hike and just like crystal clear, beautiful sunshine, no wind, and hiked down with my husband, the South Kaibab Trail. We were just doing a day hike, so we didn't want to get over ambitious. I think we got to Skeleton Point. It's really incredible, especially after spending time in a lot of other parts of Arizona, because it almost feels like every part of Arizona is represented within the different layers of the canyon. Like as you go down, Mm -hmm. it kind of reminds of different ecosystems or parts of the state that I've explored Mm -hmm. because the elevation changes so quickly and the vegetation changes, the wildlife changes. Mm -hmm. So you just get to experience so much in such a short period of time. You definitely have to work for it. It's really intense hiking. Yeah, I just remember that leaving a huge impression on me, just how dramatic it is, but also how dramatically it changes. Mm -hmm. And then was able to explore the village area a little bit and catch the sunset on the rim, which was incredible, and then headed back to Flagstaff. So it was pretty fleeting. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, after that first visit, it wasn't like, oh, I need to go back. I need to explore more. It was just kind of like, oh, that was a wonderful experience. And then it sort of paused for me. And then when I moved to Flagstaff, I was reintroduced into my life because this opportunity came up with Grand Canyon Conservancy. And that was when I would say I really got more connected. At GCC, we have something called Grand Canyon Experience Days, which is a really incredible thing. It's basically. Two paid days just to experience Grand Canyon National Park. That's the assignment. You can't go anywhere else, Mm -hmm. which is my favorite. Like some people don't get around to using them and I'm like, oh, I have to plan. Like, how am I going to use it this time? Mm -hmm. So I would say since I've worked for GCC, I've learned, I think, that my favorite time to experience the park is... In the winter, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas is a really nice time just because there's really no one at the park, so it's really quiet. Mm -hmm. And I also, just hiking in the colder weather, I mean, you gotta have your hiking poles and your spikes, definitely, Mm -hmm. because it can be icy at, at first, but I just think it's so rewarding to be able to explore when there are way fewer people and you don't have to worry as much about getting into trouble with the heat. So it is an international audience. When you say spikes, can you explain that for people? Oh, so like crampons that you would put on your hiking boots. Mm-hmm. So traction devices, essentially, so that you don't slip and fall on the yeah. ice. Yeah.
2: Now, Katie, I know I get intimidated when people ask me about a brief history of the Grand Canyon. I'm like, as a guide, I know a little bit about a lot of things. And then, of course, my focus is conservation and advocacy before we get into Grand Canyon Conservancy and how it supports Grand Canyon National Park and the ecosystem itself, could you, from your own collection of knowledge and interest, tell us a little bit about the Grand Canyon and just introduce it to the audience?
3: So it is a really unique and special place. It's definitely a place that I still have a lot to learn about myself. And I feel like you could spend your whole life learning about the Grand Canyon because it's a massive landscape and it's super complex. But I guess I'll just start with the tribal history because that is a history that has not been told as much that we are now working with the park and with the tribes to try to help elevate. Mm -hmm. And there are 11 tribes that have cultural and historic ties to Grand Canyon, Probably more than that, honestly. Those are the 11 that we officially say have connections. So a lot of them have their emergent stories in different places in the canyon and have spent time either in the canyon or living in the canyon for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. They have a spiritual connection and Havasupai tribe still lives in the canyon. That's a big history that I think hasn't really been told, and we're working to rewrite that history and elevate those voices. A big part of the Grand Canyon is the Colorado River, which runs through the canyon, and I believe it's 277 river miles. It's a massive <laughs> landscape, and there's five life zones as you go down into the canyon. You go down about 5,000 feet from the top of the rim to the bottom of the canyon at the river, and so there's just a huge biodiversity of plant life and animal life and a huge geologic history. There's the South Rim, which is definitely the most visited part of the park. So when you picture Grand Canyon or you hear about it, that's probably what you've seen. There's also the North Rim, which is more remote and more difficult to get to. So it's a lot less visited and it's a bit higher elevation. So it's only open half the year from mid-May to mid-October, actually it didn't open till June in 2023 because of the historic snow pack that we got. So I think that's something that people don't realize, is just how much there is to explore. And I think a lot of people think about how it's one of the most visited parks, which is true, but there are definitely ways to have experiences that may not be the traditional national park experience that you're thinking, if you are open to being a little more remote and exploring.
2: As the official philanthropic and collaborative partner of Grand Canyon National Park, Grand Canyon Conservancy's mission is to inspire generations of park champions to cherish and support the natural and cultural wonder of the Grand Canyon. For those who know me or have been listening for a while, you'll know that the Grand Canyon is near and dear to my heart. I've worked there as a guide for half my life, and I am down here... For many different reasons, but the reason that brings me to Flagstaff is to connect with Grand Canyon Conservancy and to bring more awareness and support for the incredible work that they are doing for Grand Canyon National Park. And so I am sitting here with Katie Varian and Katie is the Marketing Manager at Grand Canyon Conservancy. Katie, can we talk about the origin of Grand Canyon Conservancy and then flow into how it is connected with the National Park?
3: Grand Canyon Conservancy was founded in 1932 by Eddie McKee, who was a naturalist and a ranger at the South Rim of Grand Canyon. We were originally founded with the name the Grand Canyon Natural History Association. So McKee, our founder, saw the need for a park partner that would support interpretive programs and publications at the canyon. And from its beginning, the Natural History Association did just that. We funded interpretive talks, research, and scientific papers. And in October of 1994, we changed our name to Grand Canyon Association to emphasize the wide variety of services that we are providing beyond just natural history. And in August of 2018, we changed our name once more to Grand Canyon Conservancy to better represent our mission which is to inspire generations of park champions to cherish and support the natural and cultural wonder of Grand Canyon. So we do that in a lot of different ways. We operate retail stores throughout the park. We run a field institute that does guided classes and tours of Grand Canyon. That includes anything from an hour tour of Kolb Studio, more of a history tour, to a 10-day river rafting trip on the Colorado River, to a multi-day backpacking trip, to just a walk along the Rim trail. So we provide a lot of different educational programming, but our main goal is just to support Grand Canyon National Park in any way that it needs, particularly through philanthropy. So we raise funds for the park and support the priorities of the park. We defer to Grand Canyon National Park in terms of what their priorities are essentially for the year and then we go out and fundraise for those priorities so we help spread the word about what the needs of the park are and how folks can get involved and support different areas that they're passionate about, whether that be field trips for K-12 through 12 students at the park, our residency program, we have artists and astronomers come and live at the park for eight weeks at a time mm-hmm. and study and engage with the public, whether that be you're more interested in indigenous affairs and tribal connections and how we can better tell the story there and preserve the culture of the park, dark sky preservation or an international dark sky park, trail maintenance, and a number of other things. So we support the park really in all areas.
2: Let's dive into some of the details behind some of those areas. Like, for example, why it's beneficial to have Grand Canyon Conservancy help raise funds for the national park and just kind of explaining why the park itself might not be able to do that.
3: Yeah, so a lot of people wonder about this because, you know, you come to the park, you pay your entrance fee, and you're like, shouldn't that support the operations of the park? Mm -hmm. And it does. Your entrance fee goes to things like keeping the buildings running, keeping the lights on, keeping the shuttles running that are getting you to the trails, supporting the rangers and funding them to talk to you and tell you about what you might want to do during your visit. Mm -hmm. But there's so much more that is needed, particularly with climate change and with all the habitat restoration and scientific research happening at the park so that's a big part of what we fund but also additional interpretive programming so for example we have a cultural demonstrator program at the park particularly at Desert View watchtower but sometimes it is in other locations as well where different members of the tribes that call Grand Canyon home come and demonstrate their arts and their crafts live at the park to the public they talk to the public they're really open to telling their story and answering questions about their connection to Grand Canyon and whatever their craft is, whether that's jewelry making or they're a silversmith or pottery. There's so many different crafts and arts represented there, but that's just one example of a program that wouldn't exist without Grand Canyon Conservancy.
2: Well, you said it, you said climate change. Can we talk a little bit about how the changing climate is affecting the ecosystems within Grand Canyon?
3: One place where we're seeing the impacts the most is at the river. I know a lot of people are following climate change along the Colorado River, both the kind of shortages and the low water levels that we've been seeing, but also the water is warming and that's impacting the native fish in the river. So we've seen uh, about 23 years of drought driven by climate change and overuse of available water supplies have depleted water levels at Lake Powell from 95% in 2000 to 25% full in 2022 and low reservoir water levels have caused invasive species such as smallmouth bass, green sunfish, and others to pass through the dam. Both species have subsequently spread throughout Glen Canyon National Recreation Area below Glen Canyon Dam. The lower reservoir level is also causing release temperatures to increase, warming the river, and further increasing the risk of smallmouth bass and green sunfish establishment in Grand Canyon National Park. If smallmouth bass, green sunfish, and other non-native fish species established below the dam, there will be detrimental impacts to native fish communities such as the humpback chub within just a few years. So that's something that the park is monitoring really closely and working with Glen Canyon Conservancy on as well. So we're working on rapid response efforts and Grand Canyon Conservancy is helping to fund specialized boats and equipment for electrofishing in order to rapidly respond to the situation that's happening on the river. In 2022, neither Grand Canyon or Glen Canyon National Recreation Area had the equipment needed and it was because it's expensive and it needs to be created from scratch. So Grand Canyon Conservancy provided the fisheries an emergency rapid response with funding to begin building boats and to purchase electrofishing equipment. And so that's a lot of what Grand Canyon Conservancy helps support is direct aid funding, particularly when the park needs funds quickly. That's typically going to be coming from the park partner like Grand Canyon Conservancy. So that's just one area, the native fish population. We're seeing the impacts of climate change really closely. You probably know a lot about this. I know the river rafting community is seeing it because they are running the river at the same time every year and water levels are changing and it can even be dangerous to run the river now at certain times of year because of that. So that's definitely one area that we are monitoring really closely.
2: Mm -hmm. One of the most beautiful conservation stories to me was what happened with the humpback chub you know mm-hmm. I just like wanted to take a moment to acknowledge helping a species like the endemic humpback chub of the Colorado River helping it come back to healthy population numbers mm-hmm. you know and I just think in this day and age conservation can feel like an uphill battle but I always try to take a moment to highlight that you know good things have happened good things are still happening but you have to stay vigilant yeah know, that, that it's just so important to stay vigilant. And one way that you can is by supporting organizations such as the Grand Canyon Conservancy. It's really hard to keep up with all of the things that are going on all over the world, but I know by paying attention to Grand Canyon Conservancy's social media or newsletters or you know, just having a membership and just getting updates, it helps me feel like I'm at least a small part of the good things that are happening. So if someone listening was curious about supporting, do you have memberships? How does that work?
3: Yes, we do have memberships. You can visit grandcanyon.org and donate. If you donate $35 or more, then you are an annual member of Grand Canyon Conservancy and you receive a lot of fun benefits, including discounts in our stores at the park and our online stores and other public land alliance stores throughout the country at other parks and public lands. You will get a magazine twice a year called Canyon Views, which is probably my favorite benefit that my team works on because you get a lot of behind the scenes updates and articles in Interviews with our superintendent, with park rangers, updates on scientific research happening at the park, and then also invites to special events and things. So I would say becoming a member is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. We'd love to have you visit the canyon. We offer programs with our field institute, starting with just Probably the simplest program you can sign up for even on the spot at the day of at Seth South Rim is our tours of Historic Kolb Studio, mm-hmm. which is a photography studio right on the edge of Grand Canyon, or it was a historically a photography studio. It has an incredible view, an incredible story to learn about. And then you kind of get to look at some different parts of that building and the studio itself and learn about it in a way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise and talk to our staff about it. So that's a really cool opportunity if you visit the park as well.
2: I know it's on my radar. I actually guided the Grand Canyon Field Institute 18-day whitewater trip many, many years ago, Very and cool. it was really neat to be down there with botanists and ecologists and geologists and people who really know that ecosystem. So, again, you know, not everybody has 18 days to spend on the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon, but to know that you also have just day, half-day opportunities as well on the rim. I think that's also something to consider because most people spend, what, like a week trying to get to the Grand Canyon? <laughs> and then I think the stat is that a lot of them only spend a few minutes actually looking at
3: Yeah, I can't remember the exact number, but it is pretty crazy. I think it's only about 10% of visitors even get below the rim of the canyon, mm-hmm. which is a totally different experience. We had a book club event with an author, Melissa Saveni, who wrote a book, Brave the Wild River, which you should check out. It's incredible. It's about the first women rafting the Colorado River. And one thing that she said that really resonated with me is when you visit the Grand Canyon and you experience the canyon from the rim, it's sort of like sending an email to someone that you miss and you really love and then hiking down and being kind of in the middle of the canyon is like talking to someone you love on the phone and then when you get down to the river it's like seeing that person in person like it's just like such much more an intimate experience and I thought that really captured just truly how you get much more connected as you go further into the canyon.
2: I love that description. (laughs) Yeah. Oh wow. (laughs) Brave the wild river that's Mm -hmm. on my list now just transitioning from talking about the ways in which Grand Canyon Conservancy is helping to adapt and mitigate a changing climate to how Grand Canyon Conservancy is helping with habitat restoration.
3: Yeah, so Grand Canyon is one of the most diverse ecosystems in the world. It's home to over 2,000 species of plants, fungi, moss, and lichen. It actually has the biggest plant biodiversity of any national park in the United States, which might surprise you because when you're there, you're like, oh, this is the desert. But there is just such a variety of plant life. And there's a lot of habitat that needs to be managed and restored, non-native vegetation that needs to be removed, native vegetation that needs to be reestablished to keep ecosystems thriving. And so there's a lot of different work that we do in the park to support habitat restoration, particularly with the Colorado River, So we have park staff and scientists monitoring the rivers, hydrology, geology, paleontology resources that have been impacted by visitor use and climate change, as well as dam operations. Grand Canyon Conservancy provides crucial logistical support to help fund data collection, consultations with the tribes, which help survey. The tribes are really important because they have the history and they really know the landscape. So working with the tribes to document the impacts on archaeology and on cultural sites along the river is also really important. And monitoring the impacts of campsites along the river as well. There is an interdisciplinary river trip that Grand Canyon Conservancy funds every November, which is a really cool trip where members of several different teams within the Park Service do a river trip together. So folks from like archaeology, paleontology, hydrology all come together to look at the river together and share their perspectives and their knowledge and monitor how things are changing. So that's a really cool project. I would like to join that. I know, interview right? On, or like, just interview folks I would just like to be a fly on the wall.
2: Cool. That's amazing. Gosh, All right, well, uh, that is the voice of Katie Varian, and she is the marketing manager at Grand Canyon Conservancy.
1: It was while we were living internationally about 11 years ago that Explorer Maps first started. When Chris and his brother Greg decided to join forces and bring the maps to the whole wide world. Hi, this is Vanessa, Chris's wife. Each map is a labour of love and I am lucky enough to see them all grow step by step from the early research and planning stages onto a large white piece of paper through pencilling, inking and finally seeing the real magic happen as Chris adds the colour. As each one reaches the end phase I get to examine them closely in the hope that I spot any unfinished bits before Chris sends them off. But there's always new illustrations to see every time. I love going to the Missoula warehouse when we're in Montana to see each unique map on the incredible range of products that Explorer Maps now has. Having lived away from home and families for the past 17 years, our aim of connecting people and place is very poignant to me. And for that reason, my favorite maps are Flathead and the Maasai Mara, because these two places are central to our extended family gatherings and where we have made the best of memories. Which map will you get to help you treasure your own special times? Please be sure to use the promo code MANDELA for a discount when you visit Exploramaps.com.
2: Today the Trail Has Travelled is being recorded at the headquarters for Grand Canyon Conservancy. Grand Canyon Conservancy's mission is to inspire generations of park champions to cherish and support the natural and cultural wonder of the Grand Canyon. And Grand Canyon Conservancy was founded in 1932. It was originally called Grand Canyon Natural History Association. Then in 1994, it was Grand Canyon Association. And then most recently, in 2018, the name is now Grand Canyon Conservancy. I really like that name. And I want to talk a little bit more about your other programs like the Trail Maintenance, Preventative Search and Rescue, Dark Skies National Parks, and your residency program. And we're really only scratching the surface of all of the things that Grand Canyon Conservancy does. But I just appreciate your time and energy. And I encourage those listening, if you want to learn more, you can visit grandcanyon.org. So let's maybe, I don't know, start with trail maintenance.
3: Sure. So, trail maintenance is a huge ongoing project that we fund, and the work is really never finished. There are over 400 miles of trails within the park that need to be maintained, and we prioritize the corridor trails because those are the ones that get the most visitation and traffic. And visitor use definitely impacts the trails, as well as the really intense weather that the canyon sees. We got several feet of snow in the past couple of days, particularly when all of that melts and there's runoff and erosion. There are a lot of impacts to the trails. So we fund ongoing maintenance of the trails within the park. And then another program that we fund that's related, that's really cool, is called Preventative Search and Rescue, or PSAR. Basically having volunteers and staff stationed at different points along some of these really visited trails, particularly in the summer months, to educate hikers about the conditions and make sure they're prepared. So these folks are really friendly. They mainly just want to talk and ask you a few questions like, how far are you planning to go down the trail today? How much water do you have with you? What snacks do you have with you? Questions like that are really important because temperatures can change really quickly within the canyon. So once you go down a thousand feet, which can be just a mile in the canyon because of how steep it is, you could change five and a half degrees, five and a half degrees warmer. And as you go down, you feel you, like you have energy, you feel well, you're hiking downhill, which is also a unique experience. We say that hiking down is optional, but hiking up is mandatory. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks don't realize that they don't bring enough water. Maybe they don't, aren't in great hiking shape. Even if you are, it's just a really unique experience. So these PSAR volunteers carry salty snacks with them. We always say, don't underestimate the power of a potato chip because salty, like high caloric snacks are really key when you are getting dehydrated or losing energy on the trail. And so that's a program just to help prevent a need for an emergency response or emergency search and rescue, because there are a lot of rescues and evacuations in the canyon every year, unfortunately, and just really trying to reduce those impacts whenever possible.
2: Mm. Katie, that really makes me happy to hear that because as a guide, I have seen a lot of weird stuff down there, hiking people halfway out. Another guide hikes people halfway in and then we hand off and I say goodbye to my clients that are now hiking out. And I say hello to my ones that are now hiking in. Mm -hmm. And I always carry extra water Mm -hmm. and extra snacks with me. And a lot of the times I've shared those with people that were not river runners, you know, uh, folks that I saw walking around with a plastic water bottle that was half full.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of that. A lot of that. People who are just wearing sandals hiking into the canyon who don't have the right footwear, who don't have enough water. Yeah, and you can get into a pretty scary situation pretty quickly just because of the extreme conditions with the elevation change and the heat. And there's not a lot of shade on the trail either, so that can be a challenge. I noticed that sometimes I've had to really push water on
2: folks. Because of their culture, they wouldn't accept my water. You know, but I'm like, you're going to need more than that yeah, to get out.
3: Or you, know? you can get into a situation where you're drinking too much water and you're not eating enough. So it's just managing how you're feeling and stopping frequently to drink water, but also to eat snacks. It's really important.
2: Yeah, hyponutremia. That yes. could be, be a really big deal. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. I did not know that you guys had a program of volunteers and employees who help educate people.
3: Yeah, and we're sort of a leader in the park service in this area. A lot of parks around the country now are just developing PSAR programs. We only have two full-time staff devoted to this, but it's a lot of volunteer base, which is really awesome. But we had a PSAR symposium last April where representatives from over 31 park units came to Grand Canyon to learn more about our program, to do trainings, and to get ideas for how they can start their own programs. So that was really exciting.
2: Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Dark Skies National Park and your Dark Skies program. I actually know one of your residents, uh, Dr. Tyler Nordgren, who is also an artist.
3: Yeah. So we are currently in Flagstaff, which is the first international dark sky community, which is a pretty fun fact, which basically just means that we have specific policies in place so that all businesses and even in your home, you have to have certain lights that are oriented a certain way and that are a certain color to really reduce light pollution and so that you can really see the stars. So one third of the world's population, including 80 percent of Americans, can no longer see the Milky Way where they live due to artificial light pollution. Mm -hmm. And Grand Canyon National Park is one of the last places in the United States where you can experience a star filled night sky. And it's really unlike anywhere else. It's incredible. In 2019, Grand Canyon National Park was certified as an international dark sky park by the International Dark Sky Association. And Grand Canyon Conservancy supports this work in order to be in compliance and to be an international dark sky park. We've had to update our light fixtures all over the park, which is a massive project because we are so large. And we are at 89% compliance right now. Basically, most of the Grand Canyon Village area has already been retrofitted, but we're working now to update lights on the North Rim and at Phantom Ranch, which is at the river in the canyon. So there's a lot of work to be done to keep getting that number up so that you can really experience the dark skies we also have a star party event every June, which is a really awesome event that I always look forward to. It's the biggest star party event in the National Park Service. And it started as a few astronomers in the Yavapai Geology Museum in a, the parking lot in 1991, just kind of with a couple of telescopes. And now it's an eight night event in June where we have over 100 volunteers and amateur astronomers Sixty telescopes, at least every night. Special guest speakers, constellation talks, and more. And we get about ten thousand visitors each year just to attend this event specifically, which is really awesome.
2: That is so cool. My friend Dr. Tarler Nordgren works a lot with the Grand Canyon Conservancy and education. But you know, I interviewed him in a raft about thirteen years ago about dark skies. That was (laughs) the first time I ever heard about dark skies. Was with Dr. Nordgren in the raft. And he explained to me about, you know, lights shining down on the ground where you need the light, not shining the light out into space. He also talked to me about the importance of using red lights at night and how long it takes your eyes to adjust. You know, it takes your eyes about an hour and a half to adjust so you can see all the stars. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of the night when you wake up to go pee on the river, that's the best time to look at the stars And not blind yourself with a white light. Totally. If if your fellow campers get their white light out, then it takes an hour and a half for your eyes to adjust to be able to see those stars. I just know that from that little period of time I spent on the raft with Tyler, I learned a lot, let alone this concept of being able to study with him and some of your other folks who were involved with the residency program. Let's talk
3: about that. Yeah. So the residency program is... A really cool program where basically artists and astronomers get the opportunity to live and work at grand canyon for eight weeks at a time we pay them a stipend to help reimburse them for their travel and their time and they get to live at ver camps which is a historic building right along the rim basically with a beautiful deck, beautiful view of the park. I'm always envious of their setup and get to do a variety of different projects. So for our astronomers, a lot of that is engaging with the public and doing dark sky programming, giving talks about their research and showing folks what they see in the night sky, pointing out dark sky objects telling constellation stories. And then for the artists, we see all sorts of different work from photography to dance to music. There's so many different ways that arts and science can overlap in really interesting ways through our residency program. And it's also a great way for people visiting the park to connect and learn about Grand Canyon in kind of a different way than they might from a ranger. Mm, I love it.
2: Well, that is the voice of Katie Varian, and she is the marketing director for Grand Canyon Conservancy. And we are here at their headquarters in Flagstaff, just highlighting some of the incredible programs that they are doing to help support the park. Katie, can we for a moment explain to folks listening the difference between Grand Canyon National Park versus the newly designated Kukvini Grand Canyon National Monument? I have definitely encountered a few folks who don't understand the differences between the two.
3: Yeah, I know that that has given basically a wider area that is along the park boundaries. So just bordering Grand Canyon National Park protections from development, mining. These are areas that are historically belonged to tribal communities and still do in some areas. It's giving protections to a much wider area outside of the park. that borders national forest land as well. So it's giving new protections that those areas didn't explicitly have.
2: We have been speaking with Katie Varian, and she is the marketing manager for Grand Canyon Conservancy, the official philanthropic and collaborative partner of Grand Canyon National Park. Grand Canyon Conservancy's mission is to inspire generations of park champions to cherish and support the natural and cultural wonder of the Grand Canyon. Their vision as the official nonprofit partner of Grand Canyon National Park includes raising private funds, operating retail shops within the park, and providing premier educational programs about the natural and cultural history of the region. Donors to Grand Canyon Conservancy fund projects including trails and historic building preservation, educational programs for the public, and the protection of wildlife and their natural habitat. Grand Canyon Conservancy exists to support Grand Canyon National Park and its goal to provide enriching and fulfilling visitor experiences and protecting the park for future generations. We can all achieve this by establishing a continuous and growing funding stream, providing enhanced educational experiences, and engaging advocates for the park. I want to take a moment to encourage whoever is listening out there to visit grandcanyon.org and become a supporter today. For as little as $35 a year, like Katie says, you'll get two magazines per year. You'll get information on what's going on. You'll get discounts in the shops, What else will you get?
3: You'll get invites to events. So we have a members-only event every May at the park, where you get a lot of behind-the-scenes information about the projects that we are funding at the park. You get to interact with National Park Service staff, and there's a Q&A with our superintendent, which is a really awesome opportunity that I really enjoy every year. Just Mm -hmm. all of our members convening in person to get to know each other and get to know the park better. I also really encourage following us on social media. You don't need to become a member to do that. And that's probably the way to get the most up-to-date information on our work because we're constantly providing updates there. And there's a lot of really fun educational and inspiring content on there. Mm -hmm.
2: And also, you don't need to have been here yet to become a supporter and to help protect this ecosystem for future generations. like I think that the Grand Canyon is a place that when you talk about it, no matter where you are in the world, it brings up some sense of wonder. And I just want to remind you, if you're listening and you've not yet been here, come. Mm-hmm. But if you have the ability to support, $35 a year goes a long way.
3: Yeah. And we also have a lot of virtual opportunities. I mean, nothing can replicate visiting the canyon and experiencing it in person. We do run a lot of virtual events. Every other month, we have either a virtual book club, a Canyon Conversations, which is usually a conversation with somebody working at the park about what they do, whether it be wildlife protection, dark sky preservation, trail maintenance. So that's a really cool educational opportunity. And then we also have an event called Insights and Impacts that we run twice a year, which is a conversation with our super superintendent about the latest work happening at the park so there's a lot of ways to engage with us from wherever you are
2: beautiful katie varian thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today on the trail that's traveled thank you yeah and thank you for working to protect and preserve the grand canyon for future generations it's important what you're doing and i've certainly been inspired sitting with you today let's end your show with some advice that you might like to share with whoever's listening out there I love, by the way, Don't Underestimate the Power of a Potato Chip.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. I live by that. Um, So I would say that's on there. (laughs) Don't (laughs) underestimate the power of a potato chip. The salty snacks, always bringing salty snacks on the trail is key. But yeah, my main piece of advice would just be get out and explore and visit your public lands, whether you can visit Grand Canyon National Park or something closer to where you live. I think it's really important to get connected with wherever your closest park is and to learn more about the work that they're doing and how you can get involved just to experience it and to enjoy it. And then also, if you have an opportunity, I think, to get out and see the night sky somewhere where you can truly see the Milky Way and not have that artificial light pollution, that's really a unique experience that I think can be life-changing.
2: Namaste, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Has Traveled, The Trail 103.3's locally harvested adventure radio series dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world. The Trail Less Traveled premieres every Sunday night at 6 Mountain Time, and you can stream it live online at trail1033.com. If you miss the premiere, remember the show is also a podcast available everywhere. That said, I encourage you to listen to the radio version when it streams live, because it includes the music chosen by my guests. A few months ago, The Trail Less Travelled partnered with a small family business in Missoula, Montana, Explorer Maps. Explorer Maps and The Trail Less Travelled share the same vision to connect people and place through art, history, culture, conservation, and storytelling. And for that reason, I am in the desert southwest recording interviews with our Public Lands Alliance partners, such as the Grand Canyon Conservancy. Please save the date. I will be presenting for the first time publicly about my 225-mile swim of the Grand Canyon, as well as my advocacy in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, March 20th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Explorer Map Store located on the corner between 3rd and Inez in Missoula. The event is free, seating is limited, and children of all ages are encouraged to attend. Again, please save the date. I hope to see you there, March 20th, from 5:30 to 7 p.m. at the Explore Map store in Missoula near the Good Food store. I'm going to end tonight's program by sharing an incredible opportunity, but there isn't a lot of time for you to sign up for this. So if this sparks your interest, I encourage you to sign up immediately. The Free Flow Institute creates immersive outdoor learning experiences in Earth's wildest classrooms for all people of all backgrounds. The Free Flow Institute helps humans connect to places, to one another, and to the truest forms of their work and art. There is an opportunity to raft the Grand Canyon in April of 2025 on the most ambitious free flow course yet. You will float the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon choosing to spend between 8, 10, or 17 days on the river, learning about geology, natural history, and indigenous life ways oriented to this landscape. You'll be guided in the arts of observation, communication, and storytelling by some of the greatest place-based writers, activists, teachers, and thinkers of our time. To learn more, please visit freeflowinstitute.com. Remember, the deadline to sign up is March 2nd, 2024. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please remember, conservation is not a spectator sport. Living in Missoula is a privilege. With privilege comes responsibility. Please get informed, get engaged, and speak up on behalf of wildlife and wild places.